0: Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast, my prayer for the message you hear today, that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, we are continuing in our, in our series on grateful, on being a, a grateful people. Especially in this season of Thanksgiving, I I feel so bad for Thanksgiving, now it's become a a holiday. It used to be the, the, like I heard somebody say, it's the opening act for Christmas, but now no one even cares about Thanksgiving. They just skip over it. Already people putting up Christmas trees as if they're doing something revolutionary uh, by doing it as soon as possible and uh, trying to celebrate as quickly as can. But I think that it's important that we stop and focus on being thankful. Do you agree? There's something powerful about being grateful and thankful for the lives that we have. And Pastor Jesse Armstrong opened us up last week. She's from Real Life Church, a dear friend of ours. She came in and preached this word on gratitude for your latitude. Do you remember? She brought out the globe. Sorry, that was my fault. I can't, I got to stop fiddling with the mic. That was my fault. She brought out the globe and said, how many of you know latitude and longitude, and none of y'all you raised your hands? And I know y'all know which latitude and longitude it is, but you're just like, I ain't raising my hand for you. Um, but <laughs> So she demonstrated, look, latitude is the lines that go around the globe this way, and they go from the top to the bottom like this, uh, circular. And then longitude goes around it. All right, whatever, it's okay. Uh, but... She demonstrated this, like there are parts of the latitude of the globe that are better and nicer to like vacation in or to travel in than there are other places, right? The equator has nicer weather, therefore it's good to go on a cruise there. But if you want to go on a cruise at the North Pole, you're probably going to freeze to death. So there are places that wherever you're at in life, whatever your latitude is in life, you can be grateful for whatever, whatever season that you're in, right? She brought that to us, and it was a powerful word. And then we began to, uh, to speak about her message in our community groups. This is why I encourage everyone to join a community group because you're encouraged and you're strengthened and you're uh, uh, uplifted throughout the week as you discuss the word of God with each other. And she talked about the story of Paul and Silas who get locked up, right, for, for telling people about Jesus and, and the whole story behind that. They get thrown in a dungeon in the deepest, darkest part of the prison And they begin to worship God at midnight, and it says the earthquakes, the prison doors fly open, their chains fall off, right? And we begin to talk about that in our community group, and my dad, who I think is watching online this morning, brought up this great point. He said this, that Paul and Silas didn't wait to get in prison to start worshiping. They had already developed a lifestyle of worship and gratitude so that when they were in prison, it wasn't anything new for them to cry out and worship God. They had already developed it in their lives. And I thought that was powerful because we need to be reminded that whatever season we're in, God is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. But sometimes we struggle to worship God when the circumstances that we're in seem to dictate our response to Jesus instead of our, uh, who Jesus is. Uh, dictating how we respond to situations and circumstances. And so we're going to talk about this this morning as we look at the, 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 the point that God is designed for us to have a heart of gratitude no matter what season we're in, no matter what issues we face in life, because it's powerful. Do you know that gratitude is powerful? Would you say yes? yes. Gratitude, thanksgiving is powerful. It is a, it's what we call a kingdom principle. It means when we, it's something that when we belong to the kingdom of God, We can say, no matter what circumstance we're in, we worship God because He's worthy of it all. We we say, God, you're awesome. We thank you. And this is something that the world is grabbing onto that that people are understanding that there's power in being grateful and thankful. And I was reading an article from Inc.com, it stands for Incorporated, it's a blog for businesses. It's not written from a Christian perspective. It's not written to Christian business owners. It's just written to businessmen and women who want to be successful in business. And one of the things that this article said was that those who own businesses who are grateful, who practice gratitude every day, are more successful than those who do not. And it says in this article, those who are able to wake up and say, Oh, I'm grateful that I have this, and I'm grateful that uh, that I can get up this morning. They, it demonstrates that their their businesses, for some reason, are more successful than those who are grouchy, grumpy, argumentative, angry throughout the day. And it it shows that this is this kingdom principle that if that if we live this out, it will tra- radically transform not only how we think and see about see our world, but it elevates us to a platform that says. That no matter what we see in front of us, it's going to be better tomorrow than it is today. So there's, gr- there's this, come on, we can clap for that. These kingdom principles, they work like kingdom principles of, uh, of gratitude and, and we even see one in generosity. Those who are generous, there is, there's blessing, there's, there's abundance that comes with that because it's a, it's a, it's a it's a system, a structure that's built within the kingdom of God that that these things flow out of those things. So whether you're a believer or not, you can experience the goodness of God when you, when you respond with gratitude and when you are generous. And it doesn't mean that those things save you, but that, that there is a benefit to responding and living in that way. And so we, we want to practice, we want to be a people who practice gratefulness. And, and one way that we practice gratefulness, or what gratefulness looks like, can I tell you, it looks like humility. Gratitude looks like humility. Let me explain Gratefulness—it helps you. It it helps you recognize that uh, when you are grateful, you are you are saying, "I have received something that I did not earn and I did not deserve." That's what that's what gr- gratitude says. When when I can recognize I have something in my life that I didn't earn this, I didn't deserve this. To to respond that way means you have to be humble. Let me let me give you an ex- illustration. All right, say. So you worked hard all week long, right? You, you've put in the time and the effort. You've really spent a lot of time working at your job, and, and you're putting in long hours, and you're know you you're really dedicated yourself, and then it comes payday, and you receive your check. Do you run down to the HR department or whoever cut the check, or your boss, and say, I can't believe, why would you do this? Why are you, pay, you paying me? No, you wouldn't say that. You'd be like, Thank you, I earned this. I worked hard this week. I put in I, my blood, sweat, and tears in this job, and I have earned this, right? You might be grateful that you have a job, but when you put work in, you don't go run down and say, oh, thank you so much for paying me another week. No, because you've earned it, right? Gratitude says, look, I have not earned this. I, I don't deserve this, and yet I have been blessed beyond measure. Even if you think I can't see blessing now, if you woke up today, you received something that you didn't deserve. You receive the breath of life that we, none of us should be able to earn for ourselves. It causes us to be grateful. Gratefulness recognizes that you have received something you didn't earn. And to do that, it requires humility. What's beautiful about humility is this. James 4, 6 tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when you are humble, when you are grateful, you are receiving the grace of God in your life. What is grace? Grace is giving you something you do not deserve. So it creates a cycle of gratitude. You say, God, I'm grateful that I even woke up this morning. I got clothes, uh, clothes on my back. I woke up uh, a, a dry and warm. I'm grateful. that you, that, is a, that is an uh, offer of humility. God then pours out his grace on you. Then you respond more. God, thank you so much for this and that. And it get, creates a cycle of gratefulness, and God will continue to pour out his blessing on you. But what's important is that it tells us that God opposes the pride, prideful, or pridefulness in us. And what gratitude does, it helps to push away entitlement and pride. Entitlement says, I deserve this. You owe me this. Like, you don't know all the stuff I've been through, so you better, you better give me what, I, what, what I'm owed. You owe that to me, right? Gratefulness says, no, you can't be entitled because you don't, nothing's owed to you. You don't deserve anything. But we love, we love a God who is grateful and gra- gracious to us. And pride says this. Pride says, I did this on my own. I earned this. I did this. I made it happen for myself. Gratefulness says, no, no. It's, I, I didn't do any of this for myself. I, it's all a gift of God to me. And so gratefulness addresses those things in our lives. Because it's, it, it's something that we need to understand and grab a hold of. It's easier to be grateful when things are going our way. Do you agree? It's a lot easier when it's all rainbows and butterflies and sugar fairies and sugar fairies. I don't know what that is. It's all easier when, when it's beautiful times and sugar fairies are everywhere. I don't know. It's easy to be grateful when things are working out your way. But what, is it, what does it look like when things aren't working out in our favor? When things aren't going our way? Maybe you're saying this morning, Pastor, that's great that you're talking about gratefulness. I, I'd love to be grateful, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I've been going through. You don't know what what I've done, and you don't know what's been done to me. And I I can't be grateful the way that you're saying to be grateful. It's hard. I'm angry, or I'm upset, I'm bitter, I'm frustrated. Life has not worked out for me, and you want me to be grateful for what? It's a lot easier to talk about being grateful when things are going your way, but what happens when things aren't going our way, but yet God still calls us to be grateful? You might be thinking, Maimon, if you knew how hard it is for me to be thankful how hard it is for me to be grateful. Maybe you wouldn't be saying what you're saying, but I believe that, that God says, look, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know what you've gone through or what's been done to you. But God does know. God has seen it. He knows the struggle of your life. And yet he still says, I have still given you something to be grateful for. Even though you're wrestling, even though it's hard, I, I have given you the light in the darkness, and I want you to know his name, and his name is Jesus. And no matter what you're going through and whatever's been thrown at you in this life, I have given you hope in the darkness, and you can be grateful for that. Amen. God, is gra- God has, has been gracious to us. And he says, look, no matter what happens in life, you can be grateful. Now, typically, we wrestle with, with being grateful because of two areas in life. And usually it's because when bad things happen to us, it's, it's a, there's, a, there's two causes for bad things to happen in people's lives. The, the first one is um, either it's because of something we've done and we've, we're reaping the benefits of bad choices and bad decisions. And we're, you know, we're saying, man, I, I'm just getting what I deserve. I've done horrible things and, and now the consequences are coming back on me. Man, man, look. I, you want me to be grateful, but like I'm walking, through, I'm walking through some really bad choices and bad things, and, and I, I can't be grateful for this. It, it's hard. I, I've made I've made really bad mistakes. Maybe that's that's you this morning, or maybe the other one is when bad things happen to us. It's because we have fallen victim of situations and circumstances around us we've become collateral damage in a sense bad people have done bad things to us or around us and we are being affected by their poor decisions to put it on a, in a church uh context use christian language it would be we either we have sinned and we are paying the consequences of our sin or people have sinned and that sin now is affecting our lives would you agree Bad things happen to us either because of our sin or because of the sin of other people. But do you know there's a, there's a book in the Bible that talks about both of these things in life? Either the sin that we've done or the sin that's been done to us. And it's, it's the book called Lamentations or the, the, the book of weeping or the book of sorrow. It's, it's a book in the Bible that you probably won't read very much when you're looking for an uplifting word. It's not like, oh, man, I need to be encouraged today. Book of Lamentations. (laughs) We are suffering because of our poor decisions. No, never mind. What's another book I can look at, right? It's not a book that you're typically going to read, but there's something very powerful in this book that points to the central theme of not only this book, but our lives as followers of Jesus. There's something very central about this book. And I'll give you a little bit of history about the book. It's the book of lament or the book of weeping, the book of sorrow. And it's written after Jerusalem has fallen uh, to the nation of Babylon. The Bible says that the people of God continued to sin against God. And, and because of their sin, God said, if you continue to sin in this land that I've given you, I'm gonna, uh, your sin is going to drive you out of this land. And then you're going to be pushed away. You're going to be taken into captivity, into slavery because of the sin you continued to commit. And this is what happens. So the nation has been carried away. This is when you read about Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These, these men have been carried away, and the people that remain in the land are writing these poems, this letter of the book of Lamentations. We, uh, we see that, there, uh, that we believe the author of this book is the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah has another book written uh, under his name and under his title, but we believe he stayed in the land there with the people and to, do, to dwell with them in the middle of their suffering. And so he wrote these five poems. There's five chapters in all of them. And all of them consist of an acrostic. Chris, would you grab that board if you'd bring it up for me? All of them have this acrostic uh, in every chapter except for chapter three. And it points to something very significant in the book. Jeremiah is living in the time with the people and uh let's see let's yeah let's put it right let's put it right here yeah perfect and then turn your in that way awesome everyone can see that yeah. thank you anna <laughs> can anyone see it anna yes thank you <laughs> Sometimes you need somebody loud in the crowd. Thank you, I appreciate it. The Book of Lamentations, chapter five chapters, five poems. There's an acrostic in each one. Acrostic is basically the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and, and in our terms, it would be through A A to Z. There's only 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. We have 26, but every verse in every poem has an acrostic from A to Z in each one, except for chapter three. Chapter three has 66 verses. And in, it's every three verses starts with, so it, for instance, A, like, this is, I don't know, anarchy. I don't know what it would be. B, I'm going ballistic about how horrible things are, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? So every, every, uh, every verse is that way until chapter 3. Chapter 3 has every, every three. Every three verses, there's an acrostic. And it's as if Jeremiah is giving us the A through Z of all the pain and the punishment and suffering we could experience in this life. He says, whatever you're dealing with, we've dealt with it. Whatever you're struggling with, we've gone through it. A to Z, all the issues, all the pain, all the struggle, all the sickness, all the broken relationships, all the financial woes, everything being stripped away, yeah, we know about it. A to Z, we've, we've dealt with the struggle. And he's there, and he's writing this book of lamentation, the book of sorrow, the book of weeping, God, we know what we've done, we've messed up, we've struggled, we're in pain because of our own sin. And he's writing this, he's writing this out. But chapter 3 is the pivotal chapter, containing 66 verses, the Hebrew alphabet, 22 characters, every three verses. And the chapters before and the chapters after reflect the people's cry. their cry for their, heart, their own lives, for their city, and for the mercy from punishment of their own sin. They're crying out, God, we know we've messed up. Would you have mercy on us? Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. They're reflecting on the feeling that God has abandoned them because of their sin. Has anyone ever felt that way before? You've known you messed up. You knew better, and yet you sinned against God, and now you feel like you're getting what you deserve and that God has turned his back on you. You ever felt that way? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, when we've, we've messed up, we've made poor choices, and now we feel like, God, you can't love me. You can't love me. I've known better. I knew you. I knew what was right, and I still went away from you. And I'm getting what I deserve. I'm getting my just deserts I'm getting the thing. I've sowed in, and now I'm reaping the harvest of my bad choices. Lamentations talks about their cry out for God. We know we've messed up. Please have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And God had warned them for generations that if they continued to sin in the way that they were doing, they would reap the outcome of their disobedience. And as you read through the poems in this book, you can see their despair and you can hear their brokenness over their sin. And from the outside looking in, it's as if we can say, look, they're getting what they deserve. We are fundamentally, we fundamentally believe as people that, that sin has consequences and that sometimes it's okay that people pay the penalty of their sin. That's why we have prison systems. Look, you've committed a crime. Okay, you go, you go to jail. You're going to have to deal with the consequences of your poor decision. And and they are suffering because of their own actions. And sometimes we're like, I'm good with it. Look, they did bad. They deserve it. Right? But what about, what about times when we experience suffering and pain and it isn't our fault? What, what about times when we've, we've done everything that we should have done, and yet the world seems to be collapsing in on us? I'm reminded of, the, uh, of Job in the story where all these things happened to him in one day. He loses all his livestock, all his help. His children are all killed by a horrible accident. He breaks out with boils all over his body. And what what do his friends do? The friends come to him and say, what did you do? He said, I haven't done anything. They said, you're a liar. He said, I haven't done anything to deserve this. No, you have. You have to have. This doesn't just happen. But yet we know that it does happen. It happened to Job, and sometimes it happens to us. We do all the right things. We, we, we're, we're staying on the straight and narrow, we, we're loving people well, we're honoring God, and yet the world still seems to collapse in on us. We get a bad report, we get family relationships are not working out the way they should, we get financial struggles, and we feel like, what am I doing wrong here? Why are these things happening to me? What are we supposed to do? Chapter 3, chapter 3 is written, so when, when Jeremiah writes these poems, he writes from the perspective of the people but in chapter 3 he writes from his own perspective and as he begins to write from his own perspective he says this look i'm i'm a i'm a man of god i speak the words of god i have warned these people and yet they've sinned and now i've stayed in the land and now i'm dealing with the consequences of their sin and their mess up i've lost my home my family's been carried away into captivity i can no longer go to the temple to worship my god i have nothing and i've done everything right and God, it seems like God has abandoned me. We, we read in chapter 3, he says things like this, God, why are you driving me away? I want to be close to you, and it feels like you're pushing me away. He says, it feels like you've turned away from me. He says, it feels like I'm surrounded by bitterness and hardship, that I feel like I've been walled in, and I can't escape this pain. He says, I feel weighed down with chains. Can anybody relate? He says, I I pray, and it feels like they bounce off the ceiling and come back like they're not being heard. I feel like I'm the target of insult and injury. People look at me, and they ridicule me for my faith and for what I believe. They say, where is your God now? He feels like, he says, I've been humiliated. His words exactly are, I've been made to eat gravel. I'm as low as I can be. I'm eating dirt here. I've been humiliated. He says, I don't have peace. You said I would have peace, and yet I can't sleep at night. What's going on here? He says, my hopes and my dreams have been dashed and destroyed. I feel broken. I feel depressed. And it seems it's completely unfair. He he, he is experiencing all of this as a victim of the circumstances he's in. It was going good while everyone was doing. I, I was doing good while everyone else was doing bad, and yet I've been pulled into their punishment. Can you imagine losing everything and everyone that you've loved and held dear? He lost his family. He lost his home. He lost his place of worship. He lost his hometown. He's been carried away. He lost his friends. He's lost everything. This is what Jeremiah and the people of Israel were experiencing. And yet his response gives us an answer we've been looking for when everything falls apart. What are we to do when we're doing the right thing and yet the world seems to be going the wrong way? He writes, in the midst of his suffering, it points to chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. This is, there's a scholarly word for this called a, a, chasm, or a chiasm. It points to, it's like makes a cross. It makes, these things are happening and they're all working to a central point. And everything, at this point of scripture, there are 66 verses above this scripture and 66 verses below this scripture. But in the heart of his poetry, he has this verse, this central theme to the entire book of Lamentations, and he writes, starting in verse 21, he says, but this I call to mind, meaning this I'll be reminded of in the midst of my pain and suffering, and therefore I will have hope. So what he's about to say is when I bring this to my memory, my hope increases. When I think about this one fact, I now have hope for tomorrow. I can keep going, even though it feels like there's chaos all around me. He says this, the steadfast love Of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. This is what he says. I can have hope in the middle of this struggle, even though I didn't cause this struggle. But when I'm reminded, and I remind myself that God's love and and mercy never end, they never cease, they're new every day, I can wake up with hope today. And I can keep going through the issues of tomorrow. No matter what you're facing or how dark the night, his love never stops. His mercy never comes to an end. My challenge for all of us today would be to remind ourselves in the middle of the pain and the struggle that God is with us, even when he feels like he's not. Because the Bible tells us, Jesus says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Sometimes you might feel that way. Your feelings might tell you same, that way. Your, your other relationships, when everything's going chaotic, you might have friends like Job had friends. He so said, God has abandoned you. You can tell him, no, nope, the, the Lord has never abandoned me. His love never stops. His mercies never come to an end. I stand on that hope and that truth. So my feelings don't dictate to me what I believe. What I believe dictates to my feelings what, I, what I'll stand on. Come on, would you give God praise? There are three verses, the central theme of this entire book, all hinging on verse 22. Sixty-six verses above it, sixty-six verses below it. Literally, right in the middle of the book of weeping, God's mercy and His love are central to the theme of the book of lament. Interesting, too, that there are sixty-six books in the Bible 66 verses before this verse and after this verse telling us about the love and mercy of God. And I don't think it's a coincidence that God says the entire book, the entire Bible, 66 books in all, all hinge on the love and mercy of God demonstrated through his son, Jesus, who came and died for us, came and lived a perfect life, died a sinless death, taking your sin and my sin on the cross for us and saying, Yes, you may deserve punishment because you have sinned. All have sinned, the Bible says. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus says, instead of punishing you, I seek to give you mercy through my love. His love and his mercy are the central point. And not only the book of weeping, but the entire Bible. He points us to the love and the mercy he has for us. And if you look at numbers, the numerology in Scripture we we know that the number five represents grace, and there are five poems to remind us of the goodness and grace of God, because He loves us, and He demonstrates His love through mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness given to someone who otherwise would be punished. Mercy is different from grace. Grace is receiving something undeserved, a benefit to you that you didn't earn on your own. It's unmerited favor. And blessing from God. Mercy, you're not getting what you deserve, punishment. Grace, you're getting what you don't deserve, blessing. We started practicing with our, this with our oldest son, Corbin. We, we started saying, because, you know, I, I get tired of spanking him when he's always doing, doing wrong things. You know, like, was like, man, my hand hurts. Would you stop messing up? No, I'm just kidding. But I, <laughs> I'll tell him, look, you can be punished. You can go on timeout. Or we'll give you mercy. You deserve to be punished. Yeah, you drew all over the walls after we told you not to. But I could punish you for that, or we'll give you mercy. We don't do it all the time because we need to, we've got to punish him. you got to know what's wrong and right. But we, we give him that option, and he's a smart kid, so he's like, Daddy, I want mercy. <laughs> and sometimes that won't even be an option. He'll do wrong. I'm like, what are you doing? He'll be like, mercy, Daddy, mercy. I'm like, oh, man. He's catching on fast. He already knows. Oh you know. But what's beautiful about that, that it's, a, it's an illustration that if I can be merciful to my son when he's done wrong, how much more will God be merciful to us? The Bible tells us that that compared to God's love, my love for my own children is considered wicked compared to the great love, the exceeding and abundant love of God towards us. So if I can be merciful to my son, when he's messed up, how much more does God desire to be merciful to us? He says, I, I, God, it's, as if, it's as if God is saying, you've screwed up. You've messed up. I could punish you, but I choose to give you mercy through my son Jesus. Will you choose mercy today? Or will you remain in your sin and say, I don't need Jesus. I don't need, I don't need all this. I can handle it on my own. If you try to do that yourself, you receive punishment. Because there is no forgiveness of sin besides, without the love of Jesus, without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if you don't accept that, then you are choosing punishment rather than mercy. But God is saying today, especially those who belong to his family, who belong to the body of Christ, he's saying today, I don't want you to beat yourself up. I want you to come and receive my mercy. I have mercy for you today. I love you. I have, I, I have plans and purposes for you. I want to give you mercy, and I want to cover you with grace. It's what God desires to do. This is what he's calling out for us. The prophet is saying throughout this book of Lamentations, this book, it focuses on the two causes of pain, our sin and the sin of others. And in relation to both, he says, the love and mercy of God are key. Whether you're experiencing suffering or pain because of your own actions or the actions of someone else, God's love is steadfast towards you and his mercies are new every morning. If you're guilty and you're deserving of punishment, God says there's mercy for you in Jesus if you will come and lay your lives down before him. You don't have to take the punishment. He took the punishment for you on the cross. And if you're suffering because of someone else's actions, mercy and love are coming your way through the person of Jesus just as the sun rises, his love and mercy rises on you and says, you, don't, you didn't cause this, so I'm going to come and be with you and help you walk through this. I'll help you through the pain. I'll help you through the suffering. My love and my mercy rise with the new day. It's as if Jeremiah is saying, in the midst of our trouble and pain, God's love meets us and hope rises with the sun. And all the cases of suffering... All the issues of pain, from A to Z, God is there speaking love, kindness, and mercy to us. It's a beautiful thing. Not only is God with us in the A to Z of suffering, but it also reminds me of his name, one of the names we call God, the Alpha and the Omega. That's Greek for the A to the Z, the beginning and the end. So no matter what you're going through, God, God knows it and he'll be with you through it because he's the Lord over all of it. He's on the throne. No one has removed God from the throne. He's still over all. He's still in control and we can trust him. We can have hope in Jesus today because of what he's doing in our lives and who he is. He's a good God. He loves us. He loves us. He's wonderful the beginning and the end. The point is, in the middle of your pain, middle of your disappointment, in the middle of your suffering, God's mercy and his love is there to surround you. He's right there with you in the middle, in the middle of it all. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What's that, what I think is beautiful about chapter three, it's one letter every three verses, and it just reminds me of the Trinity the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit working together on our behalf for our good. So even in the middle of it all, when it all points to him, he says, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working on your behalf, working to let you know that his love is new, his mercy is new every day. If it's your fault, he has mercy waiting for you if you'll run to Jesus. If it's not your fault, he he has mercy and love for you in the middle of your struggle. In the darkest Times of your life, God is there. The Bible tells us, and the Bible says, but we also know it from reality, that it's always the darkest right before the dawn, right before the sun rises, it's always the darkest. So maybe you feel like you're in the darkest point of your life right now, God would say, don't give up hope, the sun is rising. Don't give up hope, run to me. I have love for you, I have grace for you, I have mercy for you. And because of that, we can be grateful. Because we're not dead yet. I love that we started with that song, My Testimony. If, if I'm not dead, you're not done. I love that. I'm not, I'm not dead, so God's not done. He's not done with me. And this situation that I'm going through, He's going to see me through it. He's going to see me through it. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. It may not be a year from now, or two years from now. But, but I know at the end of my journey who I'm running towards. I know the one who's at the very end, the alpha and the omega, and I run to him because he's in control. (laughs) I seek his face. He is my light at the end of my tunnel, and I'm running to him. I'm seeking him. Even in the middle of my disappointment, my pain, my struggle, my suffering, I'm going to keep my eyes on him. I'm going to keep my eyes on him because mercy is on the way. Love is on the way. Grace is on the way. Hope is rising in my heart because I know that there's future joy ahead of me. It may not feel joyful today, but there's joy coming. It may not feel good today, but joy is on its way. It may not feel easy today, but I have hope in a greater tomorrow because of who Jesus is. So I turn my eyes to Jesus. I look to Jesus. I look to Him. So if you're struggling today, you're wrestling. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's hard to have hope in something when you don't know who holds tomorrow. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, you know the one who holds tomorrow. You know the one who's in control and you can put your hope in him. If you have a relationship with Jesus and you're wrestling with worry with anxiety, that I would I would I would pray that as you begin to be grateful and look to Jesus in the middle of your circumstance and you would you would Allow his hope to shift your heart, and gratitude to shift your heart away from anxiety and towards hope. There's a theologian, Jurgen Moltmann, who says that hope is the anticipation of future joy. But anxiety is the anticipation of future terror. And as believers, I, I believe that we could that we could look at our future and say it's not filled with terror it's filled with joy because I'm on my way to Jesus and Jesus is on his way to me and we are doing this together. We're walking this together. So if you're struggling with anxiety, with worry, with, with stress that is, that is bombarding you, I'm not here to belittle you or to say that your feelings aren't real, but I'm here to say that there is hope. I believe that there is hope for you, that there is hope of a, of a greater joy tomorrow and I believe that part of the way you can help combat that is being grateful for what you have and saying, thank you, Jesus, that when I rise this morning, love is there to meet me, and your mercies are new every day. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. If the worship team would come, we'd close our time this morning. I want to pray for, for you. Chris, could you come and grab this off here for me? God loves us. He demonstrated his love by sending his son, Jesus. He loves us. He loves you today. You're not alone. You're not forgotten, even if you feel forgotten. Even in the middle of your struggle, God loves you. You're here today because God wants you to know about his love. His love that is real, that is tangible, that that can be felt, that can be experienced. So that He can break the chains of heaviness, the chains that bind you. And He can give you a better and brighter tomorrow. Even in the middle of your pain today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, this morning if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus meaning if you've not surrendered your life to him and said god Jesus come into my heart come into my life i give you my life i give you i want personal relationship with you i want to i i want to know that you know me and that i know you and and i want to be able to pray and speak to you, and 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 know that you're that you're hearing me and that you're responding. I want to be able to read your word and understand. I wanna I want to know everything about you, and I want to be forgiven for my sin, not through ritual or through religion, but through relationship and ex- accepting the sacrifice that you made for me on the cross. And I want to accept that for myself, and I want to live that every day. Not because. I I was raised in something or I've been taught about some ritualistic prayer that I can pray when I feel guilty or when I feel heavy, but I want a real relationship with the Son of God. If that's you today, say, I want to know this Jesus that you talk about, who gives me joy in the morning, who gives me hope, who gives me life, who gives me freedom, who gives me mercy. I want that Jesus, if that's you today. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. And say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want this Jesus you're talking about. One, the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive the goodness and the, good, the gift of Jesus in your life. Two, you're not promised tomorrow. You have today. Give your life to Jesus. If that's you right now, on three, raise your hand. Two, three. Would you lift your hands right now? Say, I want Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I want to invite him into my life and give my life to him. We thank you, Jesus. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love what you're doing and how you're moving. If you're online right now and you're watching, you're saying, Pastor, I'm raising my hand. You just can't see it. I want to pray with you. I'm going to have everybody pray this prayer together. Would you repeat this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my life. I put my hope in you. I trust you. That you finish the work that you started at the cross. That you've taken my sin and you've cleansed me. You've washed me. I have life in you. Instead of giving, getting punishment, you are giving me mercy. So forgive me today. Cleanse me. Make me new. And help me to follow you every day of my life. You are my God. You are my Savior, and I trust you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer online, I'm going to put a note there. We can connect with you, help engage with you, and get you connected into the body of Christ as a follower of Jesus. For the rest of us who have a relationship with Jesus, I want to pray for strength today. I know know that we're going through hard stuff. I know that you're wrestling. I know that you're struggling. I may not know exactly what the struggle is, but I know we're in 2020, and this year has been the hardest year of many of our lives, struggling financially, struggling with sickness in bodies, struggling with fear of what tomorrow might hold, or whatever it might be that we're wrestling with, marital issues, relational issues, whatever it might be, I want to pray that we would turn our eyes onto Jesus and not on our circumstances. Even if that's difficult for us, that God would speak to us. So let me pray for you today. Would you stand to your feet? We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Father, I pray over every person that's here with us personally and those who are online, God, that have relationship with you but might be in the middle of a struggle, whether it's a struggle that that has been caused by themselves or the struggle of the situation and circumstances around them, I pray, God, that they would be reminded of the central point of the gospel, the central point of the message of lamentations, that, God, your love is steadfast and your mercy is new every morning great is your faithfulness towards us and because we know that we can have hope and we put our hope in you so I pray Jesus that you would flood our hearts with hope that you would flood our hearts God instead of with worry with anxiety that those things would be choked out by the hope that is in Jesus that when anxiety rises in our hearts and we feel the pressure on our chest when we can't breathe because of the fear of what tomorrow might be, that God hope would rise in a greater manner against anxiety. And we would tell anxiety, you have no place in my life because I know the one who holds tomorrow. His name is Jesus, and I belong to him. And he's my king, and he's my God, and I can trust him because he's steadfast. His love never leaves me. His mercy is new every day. And I know the God in which I serve, and he is in the king. He's the king and he's on the throne. We trust you, Jesus. I pray that your people would be light in dark places, God. And that when the enemy seeks to bring depression and anxiety and worry, that God, we would remember who you are and what your word says. And we would stand firm in your word. Help us to read your word. Help us to hide your word in our hearts. That when struggle comes, we don't run from you, we run to you. We love you, Jesus. I pray your blessing over each person here today, over each heart, over each family, over each marriage, that, Jesus, you would continue to work out your goodness in us and through us as we stay faithful to your word and stay faithful to you, as we worship you. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It helps us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to CVC.